Good morning, Grace Life Church. I, I get to be part of the welcome this morning. Um, just wanted to welcome all of you that are here in the service with us today and for everyone joining us online. Um, we're so glad to have you with us. And uh, as you know, part of our Grace Life tradition is our official welcome um, that I'm going to share with you all. And I just was reflecting on the welcome this morning and thinking how, you know, we say this to welcome you all, but it's also a reminder as to why we're here. And I think that every way that is described in this welcome, I have been that in various seasons in the six years I've been here at Grace Life. And some Sundays I come in and I'm every single one of those things. So just know that if that's you today, then you're in the right place. So to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day that you have made. And with whatever we've brought in here today, we, we will rejoice and be glad in it, knowing that you are the king, you are on the throne. And may you be enthroned on our praises as the band leads us, as Tommy brings your word with conviction and boldness. May your Holy Spirit just awaken us to the truth that you are the Lord Most High. There is none like you, and you are worthy to be praised. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Life. You guys want to stand and worship with us? Yep. Bill knows what's up.
Father God, we just praise you for what you did for us, Father God. Just for sending your son just to die for us, Father. Now we just get to wait for the second coming of your, of your son, Father, just to be lifted up with you, Father. And we just pray that you would just continue to encourage us, Father, as we're led into worship, Father. We just love you and we praise you. Thank you. 
Continue to open our eyes to your word and your gospel, Father. Continue to use us in your community, Father God, just to be your church. We just pray that you would just speak through Tommy this morning, Father God. You just open the ears 
of your people, Father God. You have softened hearts this morning over all our live stream. I will pray that every single week, as long as you give us the opportunity to do that, Father. Just pray that you continue to use us and use this church, Father God. We just love you and we praise you. Amen. Grace Life. I'm going to read the mess, the word this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. I'll give you a second to find it. You can use your devices, your Bible. We'll have it up on the screen up here also. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> thank you, uh, thank you, Bill. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you can just leave it open to Galatians 4. That's the passage we're going to be in this morning. But before I pray and get started, uh, just a couple of things. Number one, when I pray, I'm going to actually pray to commission um, a couple of Grace Lifers who are going to be going to Foley, Alabama and engaging in hurricane relief. Uh, from Hurricane Sally, and that's going to be one of our elders, Steve Ackman, and he's going to go with Ken Osborne, who has overseen many, many trips uh, with Samaritan's Purse. So I'm going to pray for them. Keep them in your prayers. They'll be gone for a week, and they're just not there to do physical work and bring restoration and relieve temporary suffering. They're there to preach the gospel and to share Christ and to be the hands and feet of Christ and try and connect people locally to a church and preach the gospel there. So you can be in prayer for them. And the other housekeeping thing is today's first Sunday of the month in December. So you can see the communion table down here. And that means we're going to have the Lord's Supper together to celebrate what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And that also means that some of your children who are in the back in children's church, you will want them to join you for communion. Those who have professed faith in Christ... Um, and so you're going to be, we're going to invite you to go and retrieve them at the end of the service. So you can just keep that in mind. And in case I forget, sometimes I do after the service, I get so caught up in what I'm saying. You can remember and feel the freedom to get up and go. The teachers uh, are aware of that. So uh, let's just pause for a minute and pray. This is the, really the beginning of the celebration of Advent for us. So I'm really excited. And just from talking to people, just the vibe that I get from seeing decorations that went up in uh, November and September. I think people need the message of Christmas right now, probably more than they ever have as Americans. And uh, so let's just pause and pray that we hear the message and we know the true meaning 
and the good news that it really does represent for us. Let's pray. Lord, we are happy to be here. It's hard to get up early. It's hard to to get the more people you're responsible to get ready, including yourself, the harder it is. But I pray, Lord, we are left with a great reward and are transformed people again, being reminded of who we are in Christ, who we were apart from you, how hopeless we were apart from God in the world, alienated from the hope of Christ, and abandoned and feeling deserted. But you came, Lord, as the passage we're going to read today tells us. So help us, Holy Spirit, please come, fill our hearts and minds with clarity, with discernment, open the eyes of our heart, and help us to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us to lay hold of that inheritance that is reserved for us. It's undefiled, it's unperishing, and it's laid up for us in heaven, and nothing on this life can touch it, Lord. It it transcends all the things that can rob and steal our joy. So may our identity this morning be found in that we are forgiven and that we have even a greater identity than forgiven rebels, Lord. We are children of the Most High God. We are um, heirs and joint heirs with Christ. So may this message resonate today and give me, give me power, Lord, and anoint me to be your messenger today, just to get out of the way and point to what you've already said and who you are and um, your son sending him for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, we're taking the opportunity this month for Advent to, uh, to talk about what it means. I don't know if you've ever d- Googled the word Advent. Uh, it means this. It means the arrival of a notable or noteworthy person. The, it's, it's the arrival or the coming of someone notable, somebody noteworthy. And if we're talking about arrival, then we're talking about anticipation. We're talking about expectation, We're really talking about waiting. We're talking about waiting. And so this whole month, our Advent series, it's been titled Waiting on God. That's what Advent is all about, waiting on God. And I can promise you that every single person who's watching from home and welcome, I forget to welcome you guys that are quarantined at home. Thank you for for worshiping with us as best you can, uh, being in your living room or wherever you are. There is something that every single person that can hear my voice has in common. Everybody here is waiting on something this morning. I guarantee you that you're waiting on something. To be a human being is to wait. We wait to grow up. We wait to make friends. Some of us wait to get married and have a family of our own and have children. We wait for our careers to launch in advance and get promoted and get bonuses and all of that. And then we wait to retire, right? We wait to just rest and to read and to, you know, go to Tahiti or wherever it is. Waiting is part of the human experience. Some of you are just waiting for the sermon to end. Or maybe if you were like me this morning, you were just waiting for a bathroom. We wait. Human beings wait. And sometimes that wait is, is kind of sad and dark. Some of us are waiting on a stimulus check. It's like, man, the economy, it's uncertainty of that. And I don't know if I'm going to get a paycheck And I need help from the government, maybe, however you feel about that. Some people are waiting on a vaccine to come. Some people are waiting for this whole pandemic to end so that loved ones can come out of quarantine and they can be reunited. I just talked to a couple who's not going to be able to see their their kids and their grandkids. And a lot of people fall in that category. Or maybe you fall in the, you're the grandkids that can't see your grandparents. Or you're the child that can't travel home for the holidays. Everyone's waiting for something right now. Some people, their wait is even more agonizing. They're waiting on a prodigal son or daughter to come home. 
or they're waiting on a prodigal spouse to be reunited, or they're waiting on somebody who's fallen into addiction or enslaved to some kind of substance abuse. To wait is the human experience. We all wait. And we're going to talk about that this month. Not all waiting is fun. Sometimes we wait in the dark. It's interesting to me that Jesus wasn't born at noon. He was born at night in the dark. In an unexpected, surprising, not very hospitable place, right? Amongst animals and feces. However cool the nativity sets look, it's probably pretty smelly. I grew up on a farm. It's pretty smelly in a barn, right? Not all waiting is fun. We wait. And that's really the the title of this Advent series is Waiting on God. And we're going to talk about that this month, our waiting. But did you know that God waits too? Did you guys know that, that God waits? We don't talk about that a whole lot. I don't talk about that a whole lot. So I thought, you know what? Everyone's familiar with our waiting, and we'll devote three Sundays to that. But today, we're going to talk about how God waits too. He is a waiting God. And um, the if you follow along, if it's helpful to you to uh, have an outline, I don't know if I, this is going to work today, guys. You may have to help me up there. There we go. If it's helpful for you to follow along, if you're a visual learner, here's the outline today, okay? Waiting on God, and, and, but today God waits too. And perfect timing, perfect offering, and perfect outcome. So that's going to be our outline. And uh, point number one is this. Check out the uh, verse again. We, Bill read seven verses from Galatians 4, but we're really just going to focus on, the, on verses 4 and 5. Yeah, you're going to have to... There we go. I don't know if that was me or if that was you guys up there. We'll, we'll figure it out. Was you? All right, good. I'm putting this down. Man, it saves me a world of hurt. So here's, here's the main verses I want to focus on today, okay? Check this out. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. His timing is perfect. Notice that first phrase there, but when the fullness of time had come. Now, this is a passage that Paul, an apostle, a church planner, a pastor like me, he wrote to a church he planted. Actually, a lot of churches in Asia Minor, the Galatian district. And he's writing them because they're falling back into slavery. They're thinking that their relationship to God is based on how, how well they perform, how good they keep the laws how good they keep the ceremonies and the rituals and the religious calendar and if they're circumcised and if they're kosher and if they eat the right things and all of that, if they abstain, they're falling back into that as a form of slavery. So Paul's talking about your slaves. You were slaves to sin and now you're slaves to religion. You're slaves to the law. And that's the human story, right? That's history. In a nutshell, humans fell and they were enslaved and they've been in that condition ever since. And I love this because you find this in the Bible if you look carefully. It says, but... When the fullness of time had come, God. Matt, is that what your tattoo says? But God. I love that, man. It's all over the Bible. Humans did this, and then this, and they fell, and it was dark, and they were slaves. But God. Thank God for that. You know, that's what Christmas is all about, really. God could have just let go of us and said, you know what? This is so hopeless. They're so rebellious. They're so ungrateful. They're so unwilling to cooperate with me and take a few first steps. I'm out. I'm done. That's not what he did, though. That's not the story of Christmas. Thank God it's not. We were enslaved. We were in darkness. We were hopeless. But God, when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth the Son. Now, here's my question for you today, and put your thinking hats on. What does that mean when the fullness of time had come? What does that mean? I mean, the word literally means completion, fulfillment. And historically, here's, here's an interpretation of this passage in Galatians. They say, well, listen, the world stage was set. Rome was a world power, and the Pax Romana, Pax Romana had, had ensured that there was peace everywhere so people could travel. They were free to come and go as they wanted. In the Roman road system, you could get to anywhere from anywhere. So you could travel easy. There was relative peace. Because of Alexander the Great, all of his world conquests, there was one common language Koine Greek, so most of the world could understand one another, so the gospel could spread, and that's what God was waiting on. The world conditions were just perfect. They were better. You could almost say they were better for God to send his son. And I get that. I understand that. Maybe there's a dynamic to that. Time belongs to God. He's the Lord of history. God's moving time as he sees fit sovereignly, providentially, carefully, strategically. But I think it goes much deeper than that. I don't think that's what this is saying at all, really. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. It is saying that. It's not saying less than that. It's saying much more than that, though. Because, again, the, the thrust of this word means condition. Condition. Here's what I believe, and I'm not alone in this. Here's what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying. You guys were all enslaved, and when the fullness of time had come, God sent for the Son. So here's my real question to you today to put your thinking hat on. Why did God wait so long to send Jesus into the world? Why did he wait so long? I mean, you got Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. God created everything out of nothing, and he looked at it, and he said, it's good. He made human beings, the crown jewel of his creation, and he said, behold, it's very good. In chapter 3, the whole world was plunged into sin, Right? Three chapters to ruin everything, and the slime of Adam's rebellion covered the whole earth. Everything was in disharmony and chaos. Man no longer related right to God, to himself, to others, to the creation. Animals attacked. You know, it's crazy. So it took three chapters to fall. Why didn't Jesus come in Genesis 4, chapter 4? Right? But no. <laughs> no, God waited not a few decades, not a few centuries. God waited millennia. Am I saying that right? It means a thousand, right? Yeah. God waited thousands of years for Jesus to come. And I want to know why. Why all the pain? Why all the suffering? Why all the death, the oppression? And I could go on. The worst history headlines, just imagine. All of that could have been spared if God would have just sent Jesus in Genesis chapter 4. In fact, why even wait that long? Why, why Cain and Abel? We didn't need any of that. The murder. Why not just, uh, you know, the first offspring that Eve had, the serpent crusher himself, was named Jesus, was, was named Joshua, you know, Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Why thousands of years? Here's what I believe, and I believe it's an interpretation of this. I believe that God knows human beings. He knows us. He knows how sinners think in a fallen illogical, unreasonable, irrational way, and we think, you know what, if I just had enough time, I could pick myself up and put myself together. Have you ever thought like that? A lot of kids think that way when their parents offer help. They're like, no, 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 I'm good. I got it. I don't need any help. I think that's exactly what this means. God knew. He knew that. 
We still think that way. Even though Jesus has already been sent after thousands of years, we still think we got this. <laughs> I got this. I'll put myself together. I'll pick myself up. I'll get my business in order. I'm going to clean up my life, turn over a new leaf. All that self-help stuff. You know what's interesting? Jared Wilson said this years ago, every year, thousands of new self-help books are going to be stocked in your local Barnes & Noble. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because it's a marketing business, sure. It's a billion-dollar industry, self-help. But really, you know why? Because the thousand that came out last year didn't work. They didn't work. <laughs> Shock. Are you surprised? <laughs> Just help yourself because you're awesome. Just find out the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of who you are. And you'll get this thing licked. No, you won't. You won't. You just keep on digging, keep on digging. That's what humans do best. Here's what I think. God gave us thousands of years to get good and stuck. Not because he's cruel, but because he's kind. He's kind. He let darkness set in. I mean, think of all the flawed leaders and failed systems we've had since Genesis. Think of all the new things that have come along and have offered up hope and the answers that have been put forward. This political leader, this new religion, this new system. Oh, this is going to work. Oh, this is going to be the war that ends all wars. You just wait. Yeah, we have waited. Wars everywhere. And Jesus, by the way, said when he comes back the second time, the second advent, there's going to be what? Wars and rumors. So there's lying, there's deception, there's hate, there's corruption, there's evil, there's oppression. Adultery, abandonment, all that stuff is going to be rife. I mean, the conditions had to be perfect for Jesus to come the first time. And the conditions Jesus told us will be perfect for him to come the second time. Which a lot of people are talking right now, and they have been for years. Since I've been a kid, I've been hearing, oh, it's close, it's soon. But it is. It's closer than it was when I was a kid. How about that? Things don't look too great right now, do they? God waited thousands of years for people to get their act together. Knowing we wouldn't, we've had kings and prophets and priests and politicians and presidents. We've had the best and the brightest. We've had celebrities. We've had think tanks, brilliant people like Einstein scientists, cutting-edge technology, breakthroughs in medicine. We can put a man on the moon. But we can't end poverty. <laughs> we just can't seem to get along with one another. We got all this technology, though, man, GPS. But we can't find ourselves, can we? And we won't. And God knew that. He knew he had to prove to us. He had to prove to us. You know, we talk about the exclus exclusivity of Jesus a lot, and that bristles some people. I want to go even deeper than that to show that not only the Bible says Jesus is the only way, there's a reason for that. All the other ways have failed. <laughs> it's almost as if Jesus gave us 4,000 years and invited us. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you four millennia to give it your best shot and see how far you get. And man, did we create a pit and make like, well, they, a, a, the tar baby, is that what you call it? The, the more you struggle and try to get out, the stickier you get and the, and the deeper you sink. To where we are hopeless and helpless, we're dead in our sins, we're blinded to the glory of Christ, we've been taken captive by Satan, we've been declared enemies of God. I don't know how, how many other ways God could tell us that we're in a bad way. <laughs> we're in a bad way. It's like that book, Lord of the Flies. You know, those British choir boys that are evacuated from a country 
and the adult flying the airplane crashes it, and they all get stranded on a deserted island. You remember that story? And they all turn savage. You think, what would human beings do if they had no supervision, no laws, no rules, no policemen? What would they do? They'd probably play hopscotch and color until they got rescued, right? Have you read that book? It's a classic. Oh, my word. They go savage and start hunting one another, killing one another. And there's a, there's a quote at one point in that book, and, they, and one of them says, I don't understand. We did everything the adults do. That's right. You did. <laughs> at the very end of the book, all these boys who have turned savage and they're hunting down one another, there's a British naval officer that actually rolls up on the beach, and he sees these boys, and they're covered in ash. They've made a smoldering mess of the island. You know, they caught it on fire, and... They're covered in blood and ash, and they're crying. And he says, my lands, I've ex I expected better from you British boys. And he turns his face in shame. And it's interesting because William Golding, the author, I think what he's trying to show us, what he's trying to show us is here's this British naval officer who was in the middle of hunting another ship in a war. <laughs> and he rolls up on an island where boys are hunting one another with spears. And he says, I expected better. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> They're just doing what you do. I'm not, I'm not saying war is, a, war is a terrible thing. What I'm saying is 4,000 years, guys, instead of just building hospitals, we're building bombs, and who knows where the real virus came from? I mean, there's a lot of questions about that. Are we any better after 4,000 years? Paul said the same thing in another place. He was writing to the church at Corinth, and he's making his point that, yeah, I understand preaching this cross, it's foolish. People hate it. It's offensive because it's a symbol of weakness and death and defeat for so many people. I mean, all these religious symbols, you got this beast, you got an eagle, you got a lion, and then there's a cross. I mean, they didn't wear it as jewelry back then. It meant something really humiliating and shameful and offensive. A Greek would not even talk about a crucifixion. If you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't even be crucified. That was reserved for, rebell for rebellious traitors. Anyway, uh, Paul's making the point, I know that the cross is offensive, but it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's foolishness, I get it, but it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. And then he says this. He says, where are the wise men? Where are the wise men? Where are the rulers? Where's the debaters of this age? He's asking, oh, so you think the cross is foolish as God's answer? Well, where are all the philosophers and the politicians and the rulers? Where are all the brilliant people? Where are they? And then he says this, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I trash all your philosophies. None of them have helped. They were like something like I read 50 philosophies banging around Rome and Greece when Paul wrote that epistle. And he says, I know all about all the wisdom of this world out there, and it's gotten you nowhere. And guys, listen, it's no different today. This is just a modern-day room. We have all these systems and ideas and self-help books and all these answers that are supposed to work, and here we are. How we doing? How we doing, America? <laughs> How we doing, West? How we doing, world? We're doing terrible. We're sinking. I hope I don't sound angry. I'm not angry. Being passionate here. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> when the fullness of time had come, we couldn't pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off, could we? It was hopeless. 
No religion had helped. No philosophy had helped. The earth was ripe for judgment. That's what's so... You know, Christmas is really a surprise when you think about it. We've been shaking our fist at God. We were born, you know, sinners by choice, sinners by nature, running away from God, shaking our fist in his face. The world's ripe for judgment. And what does God do? What does God do? What does he send? He sends a Savior. Surprise. Could have sent judgment. Should have sent judgment. And in a way, he did. He sent his son to be judged on our behalf. That's the shock and the surprise and the beauty and the power and the mystery of Christmas that you're not going to get out there. You're just going to get sentimentality out there and commercialization, but we know the real message of Christmas, right? And it's beautiful and it's powerful. The world was in ruin. I love the song we sang. By the way, there's two, I have two favorite songs uh, for Christmas, Joy to the World and Oh Holy Night. And my kids will tell you, I've been singing it. I've been singing it in my car. I was driving around the other day, weeping at a stoplight. Somebody was looking at me like, oh, my word, put yourself together, bro. <laughs> but uh, I'm tempted to sing it. Um, man, what's the line? It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. You ever, we don't hear that word pining anymore, do we? Does that mean a pine tree and they're whittling it? No, it means languishing. Like getting torn up, I guess. Somebody can Google it later and tell me if I'm wrong. I think that's what it means. It's not good. If you're pining away, it's not encouraging. Like, way to go, bro. Keep pining away. It's not that. It's like, oh, my word, he's pining away. He's going to be, like, snuffed out soon. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And do you know what the next verse says? This is so shocking to me. We'll get into this at the end of the sermon. Till he appeared... And the soul felt its worth, meaning human beings feel worthless, un irredeemable. And Christ appears, and suddenly their soul like feels magnetized to this creator who's come to rescue them. It's not suddenly they believe in themselves again, and all the self-help books are in color. No, those, those, those burn up in an instant, and they realize how foolish it was. No, their soul, when he appears for the first time ever, their soul feels its true worth. You were made for him, and he's come to get you. That's what it means. I know I'm not exegeting a Christmas hymn here, but I love that. It's got good theology in it. Long lay the world for 4,000 years in sin and in error, pining away, languishing, exhausted, fatigued, hopeless, helpless. And God says, I think it's time now. Some of them will reach out for help and accept Christ. Some won't. They'll say, no, I'm good. You sh if you would have waited a little, a little longer. It's like, for what? Everything that could ever come. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. No new evil. No new self-help book. No new strategy for self-salvation. It's all came and gone, and we're none the better for it. I read a book once called... The Intellectuals by Paul Johnson. It's a fascinating read, and he chronicles the lives of some of the best and brightest intellectuals, politicians, leaders, think tanks who have shaped the way we think in the West. People like Leo Tolstoy, uh, Karl Marx, I know, but a lot of people do respect him for whatever reason. He's in there. Um, some writers, some authors like Ernest Hemingway, 
And these are men that the whole world lauds and looks up to for the most part. Like those are the guys that had it together. Here's what's interesting to me when I read that book. Those are the guys that like shaped our views on politics and leadership and their lives are so filthy. <laughs> their lives are so filthy, it would leave a black mark on a piece of coal. Their lives are filled with hypocrisy, deceit, marital infidelity. They're riding on how to maintain finances, and they're like bankrupt. <laughs> and then you got Ernest Hemingway, who was boasting that he had proven that you could live a joyful life apart from God. He was an atheist, and then he shot himself in the head near the end. It was a really interesting book to read. And I think all those guys came and they're like, they had the answers. Oh, do they? <laughs> they can't even help themselves, let alone you and I. We've had the best and we've had the brightest. It's not just that we need to be improved a little and we need the right educator to come along and we're all just victims. That's not it, folks. No, we're, we're absolutely hopeless. We're undone. We need divine intervention. And God knew that it would take 4,000 years for us to come to realize that. And here's the really good news. All those people in the intermediate state between Genesis 3 and Matthew 1, they could be saved too, even though Jesus hadn't came yet. Isn't that, isn't that credible? By looking to the promise, the fulfillment of the promise. Read Hebrews 11. These were saved in faith, not having seen the promise, but believing it from afar. And we're saved looking back to the saving event of Christ coming. It's beautiful. None of those people or ideas or systems could secure joy and peace and freedom. You know, years ago, there was, there was an article in the New York Times, and it said this. I'm going to quote it. The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph. I like that. That sounds good. And that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. <laughs> I don't know about that last part. No, actually, I do know. It's bunk. It's bunk. Love will triumph. Amen, it will. You better believe it will triumph. Faith, love, and what was the other one? Hope. <laughs> Somebody help me. 1 Corinthians 13. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Love will triumph. That's our promise. But uh, this business about us being able to put together a world of unity and peace, uh, we've, had a, we've had a while to practice. Hasn't gone well. The last time humanity came together, united with one language, one purpose, it was the Tower of Babel. <laughs> and they got scattered everywhere and left whatever great feat of accomplishment they were trying to achieve unfinished. That's like a monument of what humans can do, united, but apart from God. <laughs> and we've been there ever since. And I just want to know what all the, all the answers, all the solutions, all the people that have, oh, I've got clarity, I've got this brilliant insight. Okay, well, what are you going to do about guilt and shame and condemnation? Because that's the big ones. Those are the big ones right there. What are you going to do about that? There's nothing that they can do. Christmas is God's answer to a very deep and disturbing problem. When the fullness of time had came, the world was at its darkest. The world was ripe for judgment. And so what did God do? When the fullness of time had come, God sent what? A religion? No, we already had that. Didn't work. A leader? Nope. Already had the best and the brightest. David, Solomon, Samuel, Moses, Abraham, Noah. I mean, we had some great leaders, man, and they couldn't keep their own lives clean. 
What did God send? He sent a person. He sent Jesus. He sent a Savior. He sent the answer, the solution. That's what he sent. Christmas is a surprise. You know, if someone's drowning, you don't send them a manual on how to do backstrokes, right? <laughs> if somebody's falling, you don't send them a, a PDF of uh, how to pull the chute properly. If somebody's choking on grapes, you don't send them a reminder to cut those things in two, right? Especially the non-organic kind that are humongous, but they shouldn't be. They're supposed to be little. They're, anyway, doesn't help if you're already dying, falling, drowning, choking. That's not what God didn't mock us. And send something else. You know, we already had the law. Really, this whole passage is about the law. And now we have misused the law. This is a huge theological discussion that I could preach a series on for a year. What's the purpose of the law of God? What's it for? And, you know, the reformers came up with something that we call the threefold use of the law. One, it's a mirror. It's a mirror, okay? It shows you God's perfect righteous character, and it shows you your sin. So it's a mirror. Secondly, it's restraint. The law restrains you, just like a stoplight keeps you from, you know, running through an intersection or a speed limit slows you down a little bit. Um, and the third one is for guidance. It helps you understand, hey, this is what God wants for your life. This is how life works best. But we have taken that law and used it for something entirely, you know, it was supposed to be a good servant, but we've made it a master and made it a, this is how you're saved. This is how you're right with God. And it doesn't work that way. You break that law when you use it that way and you break yourself. And so God didn't send us another law. We already had a law that broke us and that we broke ourselves, right? God sent us Jesus to fulfill the law. That's what he says. He, in the fullness of time had come, God sent Jesus his son, he's divine, he's 100% God, born of a woman, he's a human being too, mystery of mysteries, it's called the hypostatic union, if you want a fancy theological word, Jesus had two natures, he was divine and he was human, but he wasn't split in half though either, it's just a miracle, it's a and anybody that, that ever tried to fully fathom and understand that has, has ended up in heresy, because it's a mystery, he was fully God, he was fully man. He wasn't 50% divine, 50% human. He was 100% a cure for sin and our Savior, right? Born of a woman, born under the law, meaning he was subject to the Ten Commandments and he kept them, all of them perfectly. Spotless Lamb of God. He never sinned in word, thought, or deed, ever. Jesus sent his Son. So there's this perfect timing when the world was ripe for judgment and the conditions were darker than they've ever been. And then there's the perfect offering. The perfect offering. That's point number two. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus as a substitute for our sin. Look, if you want to be right with God, if you want to come into God's presence, then you better have something bloody in your hands that he'll accept. That's kind of gross to think about, isn't it? That's the Old Testament picture of atonement. And Jesus was the sacrificial lamb slain. We're going to remember that at the end of the service. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How does he do that? Well, two ways. First of all, he took our penalty for the sin. And secondly, that Lamb of God perfectly kept all of God's laws. So we get his righteousness. He takes our guilt, our condemnation, and he gives us his righteousness and his blessing. That's what that verse means. He was born of a woman. He was the Son of God. He was born under the law. 
which also means he can understand us. You know, if, if God would have sent an alien or something, <laughs> it's like, you know, that's great, but how can, how can that understand me? He sent us a human being. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was born under the law. He knows and he feels my pain. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to live in a fallen world, to be tempted by sin, to be subject to hunger and to pain and to rejection and desertion and abandonment and disappointment. He was in the garden sweating drops of blood. His friends abandoned him. His father deserted him. His people rejected him. He knew disappointment. He knew hurt. He knew agony. He was born of a woman. Aren't you glad that you have a Savior who gets you? <laughs> he's for you. He's not about you, but he's for you and he understands you. In a way, no human being, I don't care how long you've been married to your soulmate, they don't understand you as well as Jesus does. Thank God for that. Because I, I got six kids and a wife, and I still don't feel like anybody understands me as well as Jesus. <laughs> no, no dig on you, honey. You, you get close, but, you know. Point three. You're like, come on, let's get this over with. <laughs> point three. Point number one was perfect timing. Point number two was perfect offering. Oh, does it work now? The clicker? Awesome. I'm going to test you on that. And point number three is perfect outcome. Perfect outcome. What did he do? When the fullness of time had, had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? Redeem. Man, that's a word. To redeem those who were under the law, who were slaves to the law and to a million other things. To redeem. You know, that's a word picture. It's beautiful. It's from the ancient world, the time from in which this was written. And if, if you wanted to see what redemption was back then, this word would have conjured up one image, the slave market. People that were either, they owed a debt they couldn't pay and they became slaves, or they were born into slavery and had no hope of ever getting out of that system unless somebody wealthy, somebody with clout, somebody with power, somebody that was connected could come and buy them out free them of their debt, and change their status. That's what, that's what it meant to be redeemed. And Jesus came to redeem you. He didn't come to condemn you. You were already condemned, you and I both. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to redeem us. So you had to be freed, right? We were enslaved, and we need to be liberated, and that's what Jesus came to do. And when he began to preach that message to people, you know, at first they thought it was cute. Oh, it's cute. Here's Jesus. He's here. Remember in Luke 4, his hometown, the synagogue that he grew up in, and then he came back, the preacher that went to seminary in the desert and came back, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus. He's going to preach his first sermon. And he stood up, and he got the Isaiah 60 scroll, and he unrolled it, and he started quoting it. I've come to liberate those who are oppressed, set those free who are in bondage preach the gospel to the poor, and they're like, oh, that's cute. And he said, and that's you. You're the people who are poor and oppressed and blind and naked and helpless and hopeless. And you know what they did? They tried to throw them off a cliff because that, that rubs against, that bristles us. We're like, that's great that Jesus came to free people for the people that need it, that are in bondage. Man, 4,000 years, you still don't see it. That's you, my friend, and me, hopelessly stuck and enslaved 
to a million things that tyrannize our lives. Whether it's a religion or a law or an addiction or a substance or approval or whatever it is. Something has us. We all, we're worshipers. Worship is not something you turn off and on. Worship is just the object that you've attached to your identity to. What is it? How pretty you are? How clever? What your last name is? Everybody worships something, and Jesus came to free us from whatever it is that we're enslaved to. He came to free us. But that is not all. <laughs> he also came to give us what we could never get on our own, an inheritance. To give us an inheritance. To adopt us so that we could be redeemed and so that we could be adopted. And man, that is a powerful thing that I want to end this sermon talking about. Adoption. Freedom and adoption. Adoption that we might receive the full rights of son. You know, this is in Greek, this is literally one word. It means sonness, so that we could receive our rights as sonness. And, you know, redemption would have taken you to the slave market, and adoption would have taken you to a courtroom, because you could be a wealthy Greek or Roman citizen and have no sons to give your inheritance to, but you could choose one of your servants or one of your slaves, and you could take it into a courtroom, and they could stamp and it would be irreversible. That slave, that servant now is the inheritor of your estate. They take your last name. This was a more powerful right than if you had been even born into the family because it was, it was stamped with this state approval. It was a very powerful and moving thing that happened often. Now you belong to him. He is, it's as if he were your father and you're his son. And everything that he owns, now you're a joint heir and you inherit that. It's beautiful and it's powerful. And when you're born again, you're born into a new hope and you're adopted and you're justified and you belong to Jesus now. And that's what Christmas really means. You belong to him. He belongs to you. You're no longer a slave to the opinion of others or beauty or power or sex or work or food or drink. Persecution, conflict, opposition, suffering, death. You're a child of the king. You're in his family. So you think, okay, well, what do you have to do? How do you qualify for that? Listen to what R.C. Spro says. In Paul's world, adoption was ordinarily of young adult males of good character. I mean, if you're a wealthy Greek or Roman and you want to make one of your servants, you want to give them your inheritance, you're going to pick the best, the most obedient servant, Right? The one that has most exemplified what your offspring would be like had you have had a kid. But check this out. Ordinarily, it would be young adult males of good character to become heirs and to maintain the family name for rich people who otherwise had no children. Paul, however, proclaims God's gracious adoption of persons of bad character. <laughs> How about that? You don't deserve to be an heir, and I don't either. That's what grace means. You don't achieve this, you receive this. Did you read that in the verse? To receive adoption as sons. You certainly don't achieve this. But man, everything in our world is all about wages, you know, wages earned and wages kept. We earn it. We, earn, we, do, we, don't, we don't take any handouts. We don't want any charity. We want to earn this. We deserve this. We, we, we worked our way up the ladder. And it doesn't matter how far how far you go in the world, you're going to find this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. It's really interesting because one person said it this way. In the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row. 
He's t- that's what it means to be bought out of the slave market. You've been redeemed. You're no longer sentenced to death. And that's good news, isn't it? I mean, that'd be enough to get me through life, I think. Have you guys ever watched any of those shows where somebody that's been in prison, they either finally get to the end of their sentence or they were falsely imprisoned and they're let out and they give them like a few 20s and pat them on the back and say, all right, buddy, go get them now, tiger. You're back in society and you're free and you're forgiven. All is right. And you got like $20 in your pocket and, and, and you're, a, you're a felon now. So, you know, good luck getting a job as a felon, Right. I think some people actually think that's what happened when Christ redeemed us. It's like we've been dusted off, and they're like, now get back in there. Get back on that horse. Go back in the garden and try again, buddy. <laughs> no, we could try 4,000 years. We couldn't do any better. But do you know, not only, you're not just a forgiven rebel, okay? You are an adopted child that you've been given the whole kingdom. <laughs> you weren't just let out of prison and given a few 20s. It's like, okay, you own this joint now. <laughs> The kid, you're the king's son. There you are. You're not a forgiven slave. You're an adopted child. Everything that he owns, you're a joint owner. Man, I think if people could really wrap their mind around this, this is what Martin Luther said. If we could comprehend the excellence of being sons and heirs of God and believe it with a constant faith, we would regard all the power and riches of all the kingdoms of the world as filthy garbage in comparison with our eternal inheritance. We would abhor whatever is high and glorious in the world. Indeed, the greater the pomp and glory of the world, the more we would hate it. For what is all the world with all its power, riches, and glory in comparison with God, whose sons and heirs we are? You're a child of the most. I don't know if any of you watch The Crown. Some of it's watchable. Uh, You know, the Netflix series about the royal family. And I've watched some episodes of that. And I almost find myself thinking, like, man, it'd be cool be cool to be in the royal family, to not have to worry about money, to not have to worry about filling the blank. And of course, then you watch that and you're like, oh, oh my word, no thanks. <laughs> but I mean, really, we're talking royal family? You want to be, be a child of God? How about that? You have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You're an heir and a joint heir with Christ. You are a partaker of the divine nature. I mean, we talked about this in the past. How do you battle these identity crises? You say, do you know who I am in Christ? Do you realize what you've been given? Do you realize your status change your position? Oh, my word. You know who your father is? And you ain't got nothing to worry about. You can sail through life knowing what the inheritance that's, that's laid up and reserved for you. But so many people can't wrap their mind around it. They think, well, no, i got to work for it. i gotta, I got to earn this. It's, it's a... It's a I got to become a man and, and I got to become a woman and check this out. There is, there's a place deep in the Amazon jungle where it's a terrible coming of age type of ceremony. And I think when you're 12 years old, you reach this step where, okay, it's time for you to become a man in this tribe and, and prove that you belong here. Prove that you're worthy. You know what you do? You climb up this 100-foot tower of rickety sticks and bamboo poles. And you dive off into nothingness with a vine tied around your ankle. I'm not kidding, guys. This still happens. It's, they've done it for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. And if you jump off of that thing and that vine doesn't snap, and you get, and I watched a video, I could barely stomach watching a, tw- I have a, you know, I have kids. Can you imagine? Go get them, tiger. Go on, son. You're, today you're going to become a man. Today you're going to earn your place in our tribe. Today you're going to get your inheritance. You got to climb up that and you got to jump off with that vine tied to your ankle. I'll be praying to your ancestors 
and to the gods of the forest, son, that the vine doesn't snap. It's true. True story. So if you jump off that thing and the vine doesn't snap and you live or you're not paralyzed forever, congratulations, you got in. Come on in here. Now you can go fight with all of us. That's basically what it meant. You got to go get your spear and go to war with the Amazon tribe. What a terrible thing. And the higher up you climbed, the more prestige you got. <laughs> I mean, man, knowing myself, number one, I'd have ran away. <laughs> They're like, tomorrow's Tommy's birthday. Have y'all seen him? <laughs> I think he's sick. <laughs> but here's another one. You think that's interesting? Check this out. You ever heard of a bullet ant? Yeah? 30 times the pain of a bee sting. The venom that's injected into your body, the, the, the neurotoxins that go into your blood when you get stung by one of these, it's so powerful, it can send you into cardiac shock. It sent people, it sent white people that went over to just test it and film themselves, it sent them to the ER. Just one, just one sting. But if you want to become a man in this tribe, you, you go out with the, uh, with the medicine man in your tribe and you collect hundreds of bullet ants. And you spray this special smoke on them, and it puts them to sleep. And you sew them into this leaf glove with their stingers faced inward. And then you wait for them to wake up, and they're not happy. <laughs> and then if you're ready to become a man, you stick your hand in that glove, and you wait for 10 minutes. And you let them do their thing. You ready to become a man of the tribe and earn your keep? True story, man. That's what happens. And again, you know, there's always this competitive nature to humans. The longer, it's become a competitive thing now. Whoever can leave their hand in there the longest is going to be the chief one day, right? Aren't you thankful that Jesus already did all of this for you? All of this. <laughs> you don't earn this. You don't achieve this. You receive this. This is given to you, and that's the rough. That's offensive to people. The only thing you earn, the wages of sin is death. That's what you've earned. That's your paycheck. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. This inheritance, you could never earn this. And when you try to earn it, you insult the one who gave it to you as a gift. I've had people give me astonishing gifts that I'll thank God for forever. And because I'm a human being and because I'm all messed up, I somehow want to make this eager attempt to pay them back our promise. And they're like, do you realize you're insulting me right now? Will you just thank God for this gift and go on your way? I'm like, well, all right, thanks. <laughs> Guess God really loves me. <laughs> Do you remember this story? I'm sorry, I had to throw this in. This is for the kids, okay? <laughs> you ever seen this? I mean, the whole world thinks this way. Here's Pinocchio. I don't know who wrote this, but uh, I can't read it. I'm sorry. I'm going to step over here. I want to be a real boy. You remember the story? I want to become a real human. I want to... <laughs> And she says, and he says, so I'm a real little boy? And she says, not exactly, but you will become one if you are good, obedient, and courageous. It's a great story, isn't it? It's exactly what it is, a story, because ain't nobody ever been those things, ever. Well, no, I'm not telling you the truth. One person has. One person. Wasn't Pinocchio. I mean, he went to Pleasure Island and became a donkey. You remember the story? Anyway, that's all of us, basically. That's where we end up, Pleasure Island, with, with the ears going, oh, eh, oh. That's what we are. That's what we reduce to when we try and earn our keep. Jesus came. He was courageous. He was faithful. He was upright. He kept the law. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. He redeemed us from the curse. He bought us out of the slave market. 
he adopted us and justified us and brought us into his family. And all we can do is fall on our face and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Now, I want to end this, <laughs> I want to end this sermon by saying this. I want to read you something Ray Ortland said a long time ago. How do we respond to this? How do you respond to this? Do you see the word receive in verse 5, Ray says? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Today might be your fullness of time. He's right, you know, God waited for the fullness of time. And, and the third interpretation of that verse, and I don't think it's far off, is saying this speaks of every single person that comes into the kingdom. There's a certain time when Christ appears to you. Not in a mystical, magical, it's just you become aware, I'm empty, I'm guilty, I'm hopeless, and I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to live life on my terms and think that that's going to get me right with God. When the fullness of time had come, maybe, maybe the fullness of time is today for you. Maybe today's the day that the gospel penny dropped in your heart and you see how foolish your quest is to save yourself and help yourself. You know, 60% of Americans believe God helps those who help themselves. They believe that's in the Bible. 60% of Americans. You know what's really sad? There's some people in the church that live like it's in the Bible. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who come to the end of themselves and stretch their hands up to heaven and say, please, God, will you come and help me? And God says, I've been waiting for you to ask. So this is what Ray Ortland says. Today might be your fullness of time to receive adoption. Will you right now receive the love of God in Christ? And if you're thinking, who am I to receive him? Who am I to receive him? You have a point. But on the other hand, who are you to reject him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and for your compassion and for your long-suffering thousands of years, Lord, millennial. You, you watched and you waited while you sovereignly directed and orchestrated history to its perfect fulfillment where the conditions were met for Jesus to break through time and space and be born of a woman in the city of Bethlehem. And we celebrate that, Lord. We celebrate Advent today as we move into our time of the Lord's Supper. And I pray that that truth would just ignite us today. It would awaken us. We would leave here astonished at the shock and the surprise of Christmas where we were ripe for judgment. You sent a Savior. When the fullness of time had come, Lord, we are so hopeless and helpless apart from you. No leader, no system, no religion, no self-help book. No clever, brilliant strategist, Lord, or anybody could help us, Lord. We can't help ourselves. Only you. You sent the solution. You sent a Savior. You sent a substitute to redeem us and to adopt us. And, Lord, help us to receive that today. Today. If we haven't, if we've been so foolish to reject your offer of love and help, Lord, humble us today. It takes humility to see our sins, to see our plight, to see how stuck we are, and to reach up our hands to heaven and say, Lord, please save me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for rejecting you and running from you. And as we move into our celebration of communion, if there's any Christians who are here and they're stuck, Lord, they've forgotten this truth, how powerful it is. Open their eyes today when they handle this bread and when they taste this juice. And I pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you can go and retrieve your children, those of them who have professed faith in Christ, if they want to join you today. And I'm going to ask 
or uh, those who are serving communion to us, they can make their way to the front, and I'm going to meet you down here. And we're going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to have a short little video and some announcements, and we'll be dismissed, okay? And just so you know, all of those who have prepared these and served these have worn gloves. I know this is a really strange and unnerving time for people. So we are doing all we can to uh, make sure that things stay sanitized and we're healthy and safe and don't take foolish, unnecessary risks. And those of you who are at home, if you have made preparations for communion, we invite you to join us today. If you have your own juice and crackers, um, and I'm going to walk us through the steps here. I'm going to read what the Apostle Paul said about communion and then just explain just for a second about what it is and what it's not. There's, this, is, this is symbolic and there's power in symbolism. You know, I've read where 60 to 70% of people are visual learners and we can talk about the gospel and we have ink on page. Uh, God knows we need visual reminders too. It's good to handle the bread and taste the juice and just reflect uh, and remember that Jesus was sent, just like I talked about in the message, as a substitute for us. He shed his blood, his body was broken for you and for me. So this is symbolic. The, receiving this doesn't save you. But I will invite you today, if you don't know Christ, don't receive communion, receive Christ. And then the next time we do this, you can participate with us. This is for Christians whose hope is in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what he said. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I preach today, but all of you are about to preach when you do this because we're all proclaiming the Lord's death and burial and resurrection until his second advent. So I'm going to pray. They're going to distribute these elements. You can wait. We'll take it together. And in the meantime, I'll be sharing some scripture and you can be just privately meditating in your heart on what it means to receive adoption, not achieve it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder, this, this visible, tangible, physical reminder that we can handle and touch and smell and taste to just uh, all of our senses involved in remembering Christ crucified and, and resurrected from the dead on our behalf. Thank you for these children who are able to join us and uh, bless our time of remembrance and meditation and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name I pray. These things are a little bit tricky to, to peel off, so don't wait until we do it together. You can go ahead and peel that top layer off, and there's a little wafer in there, and then there's a second layer you peel off for the juice underneath, and we'll hold on to those containers if you would, and we'll put them in a basket in the back so we can keep the school facility clean.
I'm going to read Psalm 32. It's a psalm that David wrote about how happy he was to have his sin blotted out and his guilt and stain removed when he committed adultery. A mascal of David, blessed, and that word blessed in Hebrew, it means happy. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my heart, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God's our hiding place. He preserves us. We take refuge in him. He absorbed the wrath of God. His judgment for sinners, it all fell on Christ instead of us. He was the lamb that our guilt was transferred to, and we get his righteousness. Isn't that good news? Has everyone been served? Um, let's peel that top layer off. Jesus says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is his body that was broken for us. This is his blood that was shed for us. Let's do it together and remember. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder. Thank you that you were broken so that we don't have to be broken. That your blood was shed so that our blood doesn't have to be shed. You were cursed so that we could be blessed. You became ugly and, and, and twisted and, and ripped to pieces, Lord, so that we could remain beautiful. Thank you for our salvation, God. May we rejoice today in our first celebration of Advent. Thank you for waiting until the time was ripe to convince us, Lord, there was no other way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for serving us, guys. And uh, we're doing our hymn today. The, the Bible says that after they celebrated uh, the first Last Supper, <laughs> the first communion with Jesus in the upper room, it says they crossed the river, the valley, the Kidron Valley, and they sang a hymn together. So we're going to sing a hymn together, and uh, then we'll close out with some announcements in our charge. So go ahead. And hang on to these. There's a basket in the back that we'll dispose of these.
For the first announcement today, we're going to have a little video clip, and this is a reminder that we have some Christmas parties coming up for Grace Life, and I just got to tell you guys, these are some of the funnest times. If you're looking to connect with people that maybe you're not in a community group with, or maybe you haven't found a community group yet, 
and you just show up on Sundays and it's hi, hello, a handshake, or you know, you got a mask on and you don't get to talk. Um, this is a great opportunity. You can wear your mask to this too, by the way. <laughs> this is a great opportunity to, to interact with people you don't normally get to interact with. And we have so much fun and it's a, uh, we're not selling tickets. This is free to you. I think it is, isn't it? We're not, yeah, this is free. It's a, uh, I think last year it was, it was a taco Christmas and we're rethinking that since we just had Tijuana Flats catering our fifth Sunday, but it's going to be an incredible time and we have two parties, okay? The first one is for Grace Life Kids. And man, Diane was so excited, and Courtney and Megan, they were all involved in planning this out, and they have some amazing activities for your kids to be a part of this. And, and hint, hint, this is a great date night. You don't have to stay there. You can drop your kids off and go Christmas shopping, or go to Starbucks, or go take a nap, whatever you want to do, okay? This is December the 15th from 4 to 8 p.m. at the Hendricks home, and uh, I'm trying to read this, ages toddler to fifth grade. And I think we have a video that's a promotion for that, and it's going to walk you through how to actually register with the app, right? So can you play that now, and I'll be back. Attention parents, are you tired? Do you need a break? How about a date night? Grace Life Church is having a children's Christmas party December 15th from 4 to 8 p.m. There will be games, crafts, music, pizza, and movies from ages 1 to 5th grade. Visit the Church Center app now to register your kids. Space is limited. There we are. If you guys can see that, when you guys go to the app, you're going you're gonna to click on the event. And on the bottom of the page, when you scroll down, there's going to be a little spot where you click register now. I think it should be over here. Um, you guys will click on that, and you'll be able to register your kids. Beautiful. Beautiful. Powerful. Easy. So if you have any questions, ask uh, TJ. Don't ask me. I don't have a clue. So the kids' Christmas party is December the 15th at the Hendricks home. And to make it easy for you, the adult Christmas party is at the same place the same week. It's on the 18th, but it's only for middle school age and above. So the kids have already had their shindig, and this will be our shindig, okay? And there's reasons for that. We've had it mixed in the past, and uh, we're not against kids and families being together, Okay. Um, this is just experience has taught us the time change. It's at night. It's in the country. There's a fire. It's safer. Uh, so this is what we're doing this year. Kid party on the 15th, date night, 4 to 8, uh, for toddlers to 5th grade, I guess. And then on the 18th, middle school and up, same place, and it's going to be a catered meal. You don't want to miss it. Go on the Church Center app and sign up. If you don't know how to do that, don't be embarrassed. Ask TJ. He has all the answers, right? <laughs> or ask Diane or ask Megan. And, uh, contact at gracelife.com. Contact at gracelifeflorida.com. Okay. And is that the last announcement? Am I missing anything? Yes. Thank you. Yes. We have a, uh, we gather, we grow, we go. That's the vision at Grace Life Church. And so this year, to, to be thinking of others, our go is going to be there is a Christmas tree in that foyer, foyer, lobby, whatever, atrium, whatever word you want to use, on your way out. Grab an ornament, take it with you, uh, oh, there's the three steps, pick an ornament, shop for gifts listed on the ornament, and return your gifts by the December 20th. This is a way that we show love to our community and help those that are in need, and there's a lot of people in need this year, uh, as you well know. So you can pray about, we'll, we'll leave that out there the whole month of December, and that'll be a blessing, surprise blessing to somebody that needs it, and maybe that is praying for it. You can be an answer to somebody's prayer. How about that? How neat is that? 
So I think that's all the announcements we have. And I have uh, one more. This is a, it's not personal, it's a pastoral announcement. We are severely short-handed with our setup and our put away. Did you see how I did that? I didn't say tear down. That just sounds negative, doesn't it? Set up and put away. That's the people that get here early and they set up the classrooms, they put the signs out, they put the registration tables together, and the people that stay a little bit later and they help roll that stuff, the school's been gracious enough to give us a storage closet, but we have to put that stuff away and it takes a lot of muscle. Not a lot of sweat today, it's 60 degrees, but it takes a lot of muscle. And we need help. Some of the people that help are in quarantine or they're traveling, or, and it's been like two or three weeks in a row. Poor Courtney, that most of that has fallen on her. Um, and so she's not complaining, but I'm reaching out to you as the pastor. If you have some muscle, especially today, can some of you stay behind and help? But we need ongoing commitment. So maybe if you're a new member or you just joined or you're thinking of joining and you want to know what your spiritual gift is, um, it's, it's set up and put away, okay? <laughs> no, spiritual gifts go deeper than that, but it includes service, right? There's speaking gifts and serving gifts, and this is a serving gift, and you can speak to one another while you're doing it. So come see me today if you want to help with this, and just stay after uh, if you want to help today, okay? Let's stand together, and we'll do our charge. Guys, I love Christmas, don't you? Don't you need the message of Christmas this year? Man, I do. I love Christmas songs, too. I'm tempted to sing a Christmas song, just acapella right now. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna, I love you too much. What I will do is I'll do our charge. We can sing it today. You want to sing it? I am. A, <laughs> let's say it together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. So go grab an ornament, stick around, and help us put things away. And uh, sign up for the Christmas parties on your church center app. And enjoy Christmas. I already did. You were late.